J.T. Crowley is talking books. On the show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I have the great experience of interviewing Hugh Highland from the Perth region in Australia about the book his late mother wrote, A Sprig of White Heather and a Scottish Lass. Now, Hugh was born in 1944 and in 1950 emigrated to New Zealand, North Island, for health reasons with his parents. The family lived in Hastings and Auckland. On the death of his father, a former British Army officer, in 1959, Hugh and his mother moved to Australia. Hugh's own career took him to various places in Australia and eventually took him to the Greater Perth area. That's where he lives at this precise moment. However, as much as Hugh's life has its own fascinations, this interview is about the book his mother wrote, about her own life told by Hugh. So who was Anne Angelo? And why did she spend most of her life on and off working on the manuscripts that not only make up this book, A Sprig of White Heather and a Scottish Lass, but there was a second book in the series, The Forbidden Zone, 1940. I understand that it wasn't her intention to split the manuscript to create two books, but that was the publisher's idea. And when you spend years trying to get a publisher to accept your story without much success and eventually get a publisher willing to take your book on and they suggest things, you carry on with what they suggest. And, you know, separate books. So that's why there are two books. So let's bring Hugh onto the show to discover what his mother's writings were about. Now, for the purpose of this podcast interview, we're only going to be talking about the first book, A Sprig of White Heather and A Scottish Lass. But both books are published and are available to read. Hugh, come and join me. Thank you, John. I'd be delighted. Hugh... Why did your mother write this biography of herself? Who was she? And why did you choose to seek out a publisher now as opposed to earlier on? For you were aware the manuscripts existed. Well, she spent her childhood growing up in a very harsh environment in Scotland in the 1920s. And then she went to France in the 1930s, entirely different. And then she survived the war, um, and I remember her in 1949 in London, and she was typing away on a good old-fashioned typewriter, and uh, she, she did that for a long time, and she was typing her story, and she wanted other people to know what she had gone through because she thought that her life had been particularly interesting. So that was the, the first draft of the, the manuscript. And then uh, we, we got moving around in the 1950s, as you mentioned, over to New Zealand. And then we went to, uh, uh, to Australia after that. And she decided that um, she would like to have a try at getting her book or her manuscript published. So she got a... Um, uh, a ghostwriter to assist her in um, expanding it. And um, in around about 1979-80, uh, we ended up 
uh, in France and getting more information and then went to Scotland and got more information and all that was put into the book as well. And interestingly, the, the ghostwriter died in 1982 uh, from radiation poisoning, which is strange, but um, no one knew why. So the book was just put aside and um, it was completely forgotten about until, well, 1985, we were over in in the UK again. And she, we went round, we'd written to a few book publishers and uh, they just weren't interested. In fact, we even knocked on their door, literally. And they basically said, oh, we don't sort of, you know, do cold calls, etc., on um, unknown authors. So um, the book was just, or the manuscript was just put away, completely forgotten about. And she died in 1999. And then about two years ago, with the COVID lockdowns, um, I was just going through all sorts of old things and uh, came across uh, this briefcase with uh, all these notes and manuscripts and photographs and you name it. And I thought, well, I may as well see if anyone is interested now that they do things with computers instead of doing things on typesets. So I contacted Ex Libris and they said, oh, yeah, well, send us the uh, the manuscript and we'll have a look at it. So I sent them the manuscript and they raved about it and said, yes, 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 we're very interested in it. So they, within a couple of months, they had actually, you know, backwards and forwards and, uh, you know, secured the draft properly written up and all the rest of it. And uh, within a month or two after that, it had appeared as the as the two books. So, a sprig of white heather uh, is um, is the sort of the the, the initial theme um, because it has a special meaning to the Scottish people. It's good luck, you know. They have it at weddings and and things like that. And basically, um, it it appears at the beginning of the book. Um, the good luck charm and uh that's the uh the hook basically for the the story now hugh there are 21 chapters in this book and as i said in my written introduction that accompanies this interview these chapters have been sublimely written now we're not going to venture into all the chapters, everybody, because we'll be here forever and a day, and that's not the idea of this interview. The idea is to give you an overriding concept of what this book is about. If you want to know more of what's in the book, as I say on most of my interviews, go and buy it. Then you'll find out what's in it. It's a <laughs> fantastic book, everybody. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I found it very emotional and very inspiring. And I'm going to say no more. Um, now, I'm going to go to a couple of the chapters that Hugh and I have agreed on. So as you get, as I said, an idea of what this book is about. So I'm going to go to, say, six or seven chapters. And so let's go to the first chapter. And this is headed up, Reflections. And what I saw coming across very strongly was how little young women back in the 1920s in society had over their own lives and how family decisions were taken by fathers with little or no consideration for those whose 
um, you know, for their loved ones, their feelings, their affections, or what they actually wanted. What father said went. Um, and very often it was more about money. Now, your mother and her brother, Peter, and their mother didn't, from what I can ascertain, have a happy, normal family life. Hugh, would you care to give the audience a brief insight to what's going on in this chapter and why it was the introductory chapter? Well, it's called Reflections, and it reflects on more than just what's in the book. Um, it sort of extends to after the book, and she meets uh, a dashing uh, British Army officer, and they have, you know, a, a love relationship, etc. And the, the sprig of white heather comes and goes. Um, so the reflections also then continue as when she was being brought up in Invergordon in the 1920s. And the father was so harsh um, that it was one of these, you know, um, um, domestic um, situations where everyone in the family was sort of in fear of the of the father. Um, and on the other hand, she was there helping um, the father's work. He, he ran a, um, a motor repair company, and he also used to work for the Royal Navy because they were based there at that time. And uh, at the age of 11, she was out driving the minibus um, for sailors, taking them here, there, and everywhere. Um, so she got a, a very early introduction to life, shall we say, on the hard side of life. And she um, she studied after school to be a pharmacy uh, person, pharmacist, but um, he wouldn't let her go to Edinburgh to sit the final exams. So... That was the final straw. Uh, so he wanted to marry her off to anyone uh, in Invergordon that, you know, so that she could stay there, uh, have children, help him, and that was going to be her life. So she escaped to France as a governess. And um, that's the, the, the reflections uh, part of the first chapter. It's a very inspiring chapter, everybody. Um, and as I says, it's very heartwarming, but unfortunately, it's very true. Now, chapter two, Hugh, early childhood. This chapter, as far as I can understand, is Anne reliving a very unpleasant part of her past. What she and her brother, Peter C., and experienced, the cruel treatment of their mother at the hand of their father, and the extent he would go to to hurt those near to him. Nowadays, that would be a reportable abuse, but that was life back in those days. Your mother, um, you know, and uncle, they feared their father. Your mother was only six at the time, and Joe Angelo was in a way a man who had a split personality, charming to the outside world and nasty, violent, controlling person to the people he should have protected and been kind to. He was a womanizer, as well as far as I can tell. 
Do you think your mother found this part of the book, especially this chapter, hard to write, given the contents? I would say yes, because uh, we went back in 1980 and again in 1985, and uh, we went to the local um, graveyard there, and just from what she was saying there, she... She hadn't forgiven him then, and that was like 50, 60 years later. Uh, she was still missing her mother and still grieving about the hard time that the family had suffered under him. Uh, so you had the two the two aspects there, uh, the grieving and also the, the dislike or even the hatred of what had happened, what had been meted out to them. You can understand it, can't you? Mm. Yeah. When you read the book, everybody, exactly. you'll understand why. Let's delve further into the book, Hugh, and let's go to chapter 10, France. What I liked about this chapter was your grandmother talking to your mother about men and how she should handle herself. This was a mother and a daughter chat before your mother headed off to another world in France. What her mother said in that scene probably stuck with, you know, your mother for the rest of her life. Her mother wanted to have the life that she didn't. That's what your grandmother wanted. She wanted her daughter, your mother, to have a different life. Would you care to put your own spin on what this chapter and part of the book is all about? Her father had no comforting words of wisdom for her, did he? Yes, well, she was about 20 when she left home. And basically the father said, you're going to leave, don't come back, you're disowned. So she left uh, with the blessing of her mother, just go, you know, go somewhere safe and take care and this is the way that you know the world is watch out for people um take care of yourself and your relationships so uh that was her advice uh for her love and marriage of what marriage should be and hoping that her daughter would actually find something like that so the rest of the chapter then went on um, describing uh, her travelling by train because uh, Invergordon's in the north of Scotland, so she had to go all the way down uh, to the um, uh, uh, to the the Channel, um, and then catch a ferry across to Calais, and then catch a French train to Lille, which is in the the northwest of France, and here she was. Um, she she had studied French at school, but I mean, studying French at school is not anything like when you landed in France. And wondering uh, who is the person that she has um, applied for the go to be governor in his family home. How is he going to find her? So she's dressed up still in her Scottish 
uh, close. And um, at the end of the, the chapter, um, they meet up at the station and they then drive to his home. But you can imagine the uncertainty of a 20-year-old who's never been out of Invergordon before, travelling down south through England, across the Channel, and then up to the north of France, all by herself. Um, it's sort of quite demanding. I would have said that would be an experience that back in that, you know, the, the 1920s, 30s, would have been, uh, for a young girl on her own, would have been um, virgin on scary. Um, but I suppose when you're coming from a life of, of her life, she probably took the approach, I've got nothing to lose here. And the only way is forward. And it was the only way. Now, Hugh, chapter 11, my new home. I like this chapter. And this is the turning point in the book, everybody. Here we have your mother. As you said, she's arrived in France and is experiencing French driving. And for a lot of us, we've certainly <laughs> in the UK and around Europe, French driving is, and possibly Italian driving as well, is an experience to be seen. And I just thought it was very funny. You know, so here she is, she's experiencing French driving. And of course, for her, they were all on the wrong side of the road. Because <laughs> we drive on the left and a lot of places drive on the right. So they were on the wrong side of the road. And as you already mentioned, so she was there and she was all dressed up in Scottish tartan. But the French ladies were wearing the latest summer fashions. So this was a complete new world to your mother. You know, grand palatial buildings, French high society. This was a new experience for her. Do you think she enjoyed it? Well, I, I think that her eyes were opened amazingly. And I think she would have enjoyed it and she would have been half terrified at the same time because it would have been all so new and so grand and hardly anything, you know, that she'd ever contemplated before. So, yes, she, she would have. Um, but she settled in very quickly. And um, once she got to meet uh, the children at the house and everything, uh, she started off, OK, we're all going to talk in, in English. Well, I'm here to teach you English, so we're going to talk in English. I mean, that that was a good way to to break the ice too because you know um so uh yeah she 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 got off to a very good start with the uh the monsieur who was in charge of everything and um it was a, a very a very smooth introduction but it was a very different world for her wasn't it totally different I mean, there's no big buildings like that in Invergordon. No, no, there isn't. Everyone. And they wouldn't have dressed like that in Invergordon. Who oh, no, who oh, no. <laughs> Too cold. <laughs> and of course, and of course, you know, he had servants. He had a cook, and he had a, you know, a housekeeper and um, a driver and a few other gardeners and that. And uh, they're all 
talking in French and yes, it uh, it would have been like a dream. And of course, it would have been French food, French fancies, French, a lot of um, totally different. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. So when you look at the chapter, everybody, oh, boy, she had a different lifestyle now. Mm. Um, I have to say, I found you uh, choosing certain sections of the book that best portrayed your mother's story here. Um, difficult to... Um, to pull out, you know, which ones, which chapters do I go to? How do I pinpoint or highlight the best parts of this book so that everybody can get a fair um, understanding of what the contents is? Um, because every chapter in this book has its own story and its own relevance and its own narrative, its own wonderful characters. And all, as I said, sublimely written and very sensitive at times. But two chapters uh, further down the book caught my eye. And these are chapters 16 and 17, St. Malmo and Monte Carlo. So when I saw these tiles, I thought, I've got to go there and have a look. What are these chapters about? And because the stories behind the scenes in the Channel Isles and Monte Carlo have far greater significance to them than just a fabulous place to go. Um, Anne feels that in both chapters, she's been observed by those rich folk around her as they're looking at her background because her background and their background were a stark contrast. And it's also talking about relationships, you know, relations from the past. And I thought the story in Monte Carlo, the... Um, the gentleman who got slightly confused with the message in her job applications, engagement. Because what she meant by engagement, what he thought was engagement, was two entirely different storylines. And how the story comes across is absolutely wonderful. Um, so my question to you is, Hugh, do you think um, that your mother's experiences here, you know, the, the new path, a path to a different world from her Scottish roots was something that she cherished here. Um, this was a part of her life that she uh, reflected upon as uh, very endearing. And again, we are seeing new characters come in here. Did she enjoy talking about this part of her life? Well, after she'd settled in uh, as the governess, um, they would regularly go on vacation around Europe and she would go with them. So before long, she became quite used to uh, tripping around different parts of France. And um, this part where she actually goes down to Monte Carlo, because see, the um, uh, the children started to grow up by then, and um, with the depression, the um, the owner had um, moved more permanently to Paris because he used to commute between Paris and Lille, and um, so it, the, the she transferred being a governess to actually running the place as a small private hotel. Um, 
But even that was a bit shaky at that time, whether it would be, you know, continuing and whether she would still be in, an, in his employment. So she decided to, to look and see if there was somewhere that she could get uh, more work that would be guaranteed. So she she applied for and uh, this place in Monte Carlo and went down there. And then she got into all sorts of strife because um, there are people around then as well as now that sort of tell you one thing but uh, have something entirely different in mind. So I won't go into the... Uh, the detail, because uh, that's an interesting part of the story about uh, what she had to go through uh, subsequently after she arrived in Monte Carlo. And of course, interesting, and they, very interesting. It also runs into the depression hits in chapter 18. Um, I, the, the passport bit here, Hugh, really, I thought, wow, that is fascinating. Um you know, because um, by now, and she was she was driving a car. She got a Buick car. Everybody, um, just briefly tell us about the passport scenario here, because I just love this. And how have they tried to get an, a, a, a different passport as well? Well, when she was running the the big house as a uh, initially as a small private hotel. Uh, she also had the use of the car. In fact, the, the owner said, you can have the car as a gift now. You know, you just run the uh, the hotel. So she drove down in the car. That was the Buick um, down to Monte Carlo looking for uh, more permanent work just in case she didn't have ongoing work in Lille. And um, she just went... Basically, must have just gone out for the day to go and see this person um, for that for an interview, and he basically talked her into, "Oh, let's go for a drive in your car across the border into Italy, and uh, meet my brother and his family." And so she didn't think about her passport, and he said, "Well, don't worry about it. He knows the people on the border." Uh, they're all good pals. He does work for them and, and etc. So she ended up across the border uh, and no passport and um, things were not going too well for her. So she had to sort of escape and couldn't cross the border till she managed to get a new uh, passport. Now, um, her godmother uh, came from Casino. So uh, she actually went to Casino, drove down there. She still had the, the Buick and saw the godmother and stayed with her for a while until her lost passport uh, was replaced. So then she could cross back into France and etc. So, And of course, that's how um, it worked. Indeed it did. And as I said, go and have a look at the story, everyone. Uh, but... Let's put a time period on this. This is 1937, Easter time. And when you look at that time, a lot of countries, you know, in Europe were getting concerned as to what was happening in Germany. 
this is the backdrop, isn't it? This is what, you know, yeah. Germany in the late 1930s. Mm. Was that something that you, um, you know, was in your mother's mind all the time? You know, what's going on there? Well, I think it would have been. I mean, in Lille, I mean, that's right up the northwest of France. And in the First World War, the Germans actually crossed the border somewhat into France, um, and that was part of it. So uh, they would have been very, and that was only 20 years pre previously, so they all would have been very wary of what's going on in Germany mm. and what could happen. Um Whereas down the south of France, I think they were sort of more relaxed. And as for, for Italy, well, Italy was so far from everywhere and the Italian way of life was just, you know, more laid back. So, um, yeah, different life altogether. She did. And I think what we've not really touched upon, I mean, is that your mother had... Um, few romantic moments, didn't she? She met... Um, some gentlemen. Yeah, when she was down in yeah. um, Monte Carlo, there was a, oh, he was about 35 years older than her, 30, 30 years older, mm. and uh, he was a widowed, very rich American, and uh, he basically proposed to her, but, I mean, she wasn't really interested in, you know, doing having a, a marriage if she wasn't really in love. So she just turned him down and carried on. No, because the real love of her life was the British Army officer she met and whom she gave the sprig of white heather to. And there's the title. Yes, and that, comes, that comes afterwards, yeah, it after the war be. started. Yes, a sprig of white heather from a Scottish lass. And there's the story. There's the title of the book. Hugh, do you think that now that the book is published, um, are you glad that you published it? And do you think your late mother, Anne, would be delighted that it's published and out there for people to read and look at? She would be absolutely delighted. Uh, because it's published in not just book form, but also audio book form. And it's also uh, on the internet, uh, however that works. And um, it's won seven literary awards. So she would be absolutely over the moon about it. It's taken a lot of work, though. A lot of work. It's, it's been ongoing for now. Almost two years. So, yeah, that's been worth it. Been worth uh, it just to get I, the story out. Yeah, I think it's been worth it. It's a beautiful story, everybody. It's a very um, endearing story. It's sublimely written. And who do you, Hugh, think would be your audience, you know, to read this book? Who do you want to see reading this book? Older people, younger people, mature people? or people of all walks of life, who? I reckon people of all walks of life would be interested in it because it's got a bit of everything in it. It's got a bit of, you know, 
what was happening in Scotland bringing up a family in the 1920s, what was happening in France and around Europe in the 1930s. And uh, it was also a uh, the moral there, uh, when things are hard, don't give up, just change, do something to get out of that situation and uh, make sure that you survive. So I think it would appeal to basically most people in one way or another. I, I think it would as well. And there are the odd romantic um, situations in there. They're very sweet. And I certainly connected with this book. And as I said, I found it very difficult to pick out certain chapters to give you all a flavour of what this book is about because every one of these 21 chapters has got some great story behind it. Hugh, where can people get these books? Well, uh, Ex Libris, uh, they're the publishers, and um, people can order anything through um, Amazon, I think. And if they're in um, in Australia, for example, um, it's Booktopia also has it. Um, but I'd say if you just get onto the onto the internet and you just type in a sprig of white heather and a Scottish lass, um, that would give you all the details of where to get what format the book you want, whether it's an audio book or whether it's a hardcover book. Um, and the other thing too uh, is an easy way, if you can't remember that long title, is just to look up Anne Angelo, A-N-N-E, Angelo, A-N-G-E-L-O. And um, that comes up under her. So that's the best way. Do a Google search. And the other way... It's also available in a lot of books, booksellers too, but um, from what I can gather, they're, um, they don't carry that many copies yet. And some of them have sold out already. So, yeah, just go, go Google. That's good. And, of course, if you just go on Amazon and uh, put in Anne Angelo, you'll find it there. And when you look at this podcast, there is the link to the book on Amazon. And um, I have to say, Hugh, that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, looking at your late mother's book, her her story, um, what her life, part of her life was about. And I know that there is more to come um, in the, the second book, uh, The Forbidden Block, 1940. Um, so I just want to say to you, thank you so much for giving me the great privilege of chatting to you about your late mother's book. It's absolutely wonderful. Everybody go and have a look. Thank you, John. You're very, very welcome. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching wherever you're in the world. Until next time, stay safe.